So 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 11. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. As a result, he does not live the rest of his earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing and detestable idolatry. They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you, but they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached, even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. The end of all things is near, therefore be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gifts he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Uh, let's, let's pray. Uh, gracious Father, we thank you so much for your word. And we do pray now, Lord God, that you would open our minds and our hearts, that we would receive it and that we would obey it. And we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The uh, Sydney lockout laws were introduced in 2014. You might remember them. Uh, the issues were that there was two particular incidences where uh, on separate occasions young men were um, just out um, for, with their mates at uh, King's Cross and who were randomly punched uh, late at night in alcohol-fueled attacks and you know what happens when you get king hit like that is that you tend to fall over and hit your skull on the concrete or something or other crack open your head and in these two cases these uh, young guys who were just innocent and had their lives to look forward to um, went into comas and died and the government at that point said, well, enough is enough. And so they decided that in some key parts of Sydney, around the Central Business District and um, Chinatown, the Haymarket area, King's Cross, that they would uh, change the uh, opening, or the, the laws in respect to licensed premises so that uh, most licensed premises would no longer allow new patrons in after 1.30am and the last drinks, the bars would close at 3am. Now, 
you'd reckon that that's more than reasonable, wouldn't you? <laughs> I, I mean, um, why drink after three o'clock in the morning? <laughs> I, I don't know, I was looking out on the, the age brackets here. I suspect there's at least a handful of us who might remember back before 1954. You don't have to own up to this, but... Uh, before 1954, what was the closing time? Six o'clock. Six o'clock. The old, the old six o'clock swill as hordes of blokes after work just poured into their pubs and queued up behind the bars to try to guzzle down a, a schooner uh, before the six o'clock closing time. Now, uh, but we're talking about 3am and they're not going to kick you out, they're just going to stop serving grog. The public was outraged. I mean, how dare the government, what, what is this, a nanny state or something or other? It's, it's dreadful for the economy, it's, it's shut down the, the nighttime economy of Sydney, it's, it's affected tourism, it's turned Sydney into one of the most dead and boring cities in the world, in fact, uh, uh, I think it was last year that 4,000 people um, uh, turned out in a protest, the, uh, you know, re you know reopen Sydney protest as they protested in the streets. Now, of course, the, the police, the ambulance officers, the paramedics, the emergency doctors at St Vincent's Hospital have a very different view of things, as you can imagine. There's been a very significant reduction in violence, injury, and young people being killed. And yet sin is not limited to the passions of youth. Uh, the underlying issue, which is common to all people, is the quest for identity and satisfaction. Uh, sadly, young people often seek it in ways which are very harmful, which are very dangerous. Uh, the... Um, uh, the bars of the city or the, the parties of, of suburbia. But we all seek after it, don't we? We all want uh, identity, we all want satisfaction. And depending on who we are, our background and our stage of life, uh, we often do that in more sophisticated, sophisticated ways um, through our relationships, through our possessions, through our careers and dare I say it, through the immoralities of those who are no longer youth. In fact, whatever we think will give us ultimate satisfaction in life, that is our idol, because it takes the place of God uh, in our lives. Now, many of us here um, have the blessing of being raised in Christian families, where uh, since we were young, uh, we have learnt to trust in Jesus and to, we've learned to find our satisfaction in, in God and living for and serving him rather than looking for our identity and our satisfaction in idols. However, we weren't all brought up in Christian families and uh, some of us have what I would call the, um, the sad advantage, it is sad, the sad advantage of, of knowing these idolatries only too well because We've lived through them, we've lived with them, they've been a part of us because we were once pagans, we were once non-Christians. 
And this, of course, was the life situation of the first generation of Christians, uh, the kind of people to whom Peter wrote his letter to. Um, life for them uh, used to be quite different. Uh, they used to live as the way that they'd been brought up in the in the uh, the shallow, the empty way of life that had been handed down to them. They they grew up and they lived as non-Christians, and now they've come to put their trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And now their lives are changed. And the differences in their lives would not go unnoticed. For some people who'd noticed the differences, they would think, that's great, that's attractive, let, let me find out more. But for others, it would be uh, repulsion. Now, sometimes um, people encourage each other with the words, today is the first day of the rest of your life. You've heard that? And it's, it's, it's not bad. It's, uh, I mean, I guess it means that um, it's saying that you can put the, the problems of your past behind you and you can, you can try to move on. Um, positive thinking, which may sometimes be helpful, but which lacks any real power to, uh, to change those issues of the past. Uh, well, in verse 1 of chapter 4 of 1 Peter, if you have that open in front of you, Peter reminds us of the big event, the, the event which has happened in history, the one event which actually does give the power to change. And it's in verse 1 where he says, Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves also with the same attitude, because he who has suffered in his body is done with sin. Now, Peter is not saying here that somehow that we deal with our sin by our suffering, uh, as if the more that you suffer, the closer you are to God, although God does use suffering to bring people closer to him. And no, what he's talking about here is the suffering of, of the one man, of Christ, on the cross, um, by which sin has been done with, sin has been dealt with. Um, Jesus doesn't need to have anything further to do with our sin because he's actually resolved the issue. Um, <clears throat> do you remember chapter 3, verse 18? Christ died for sins, how many times? Once and for all to bring you to God. So what this means is that we now have a new identity. We have an identity now which is bound up in Christ. So that just as Christ died for sin, so too have we died to sin. Um, in Romans chapter 6, the Apostle Paul puts it rather starkly when he says that our old self has been crucified with Jesus. Um, and just as he has been resurrected, so too do we have a new life. Uh, it's like full immersion baptism when you go down under the water it's symbolizing that you've died to self you've died to sin you've died to the old way and as you come up cleansed that you now uh, now have a new life and a new identity uh, in the Lord Jesus Christ so in Romans chapter 6 verse 11 Paul says count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. 
and therefore do not let sin reign in your mortal body. Now, that's the kind of attitude, that, that is the attitude which we are now to have, to understand that we have a new identity and that our identity is bound up in Christ. Uh, what then does this mean in practical terms? Well, in verses 2 and 3, uh, Peter tells these first-gen Christians that they've actually wasted enough of their lives already. Let me read verse 3. Uh, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Uh, now, do I need to spell those things out for you? No, I mean, you know, people these days, we think that we're pretty cool. You know, we think that we're the people that invented this kind of stuff. And, you know, complaining about 1.30 lockout laws and 3am last drinks and so on. But I tell you, this is nothing new under the sun. Uh, this was written nearly 2,000 years ago and they were doing exactly what we do, aren't they? Uh, things haven't changed. It's still the same. Uh, indeed, I would dare say that there were a few years before I became a Christian, when I was in my mid to late teenage years, when, uh, to some extent, that I was actually a bit like this, that this was my world, that this was how I thought that I'd find um, happiness and satisfaction and fulfilment. It's a waste of your life. There's nothing cool about it. It doesn't lead to any satisfaction. It doesn't lead to fulfilment. And it can cause long-term damage. Long-term damage. There's no doubt about that. You're wasting your life. And so in verse 2, don't waste any more of your life, says Peter. Don't waste any more of your life living... Uh, for evil human desires, instead now live your life for the will of God, for the one who made you. Now, when we do that, not everyone's going to be happy, especially those who you used to hang out with and people who you connect with in daily life. Um, people might even think that we're a bit weird. And so... We can expect rejection. In verse 4, um, Peter says, They think it strange that you do not plunge with them into the same flood of dissipation and they heap abuse on you. They think it's strange that you don't... You know, you imagine a, a flood, a floodwater, a river that's raging, it's broken its banks, you know. They think it's weird that you don't dive in there with them and get um, dissipated away. <laughs> right? They think it's weird. Now, there are identity issues here. Uh, Non-Christians are seeking their life meaning in self-gratification. Um, trying to fulfil all of their fantasies through partying, drinking, sex, materialism, all kinds of idolatries. But we are to be different... Because, you know, although life has its ups and downs, um, although we go through difficulties, that ultimately 
we actually have every reason to be content because we've now received our true identity in Christ. Many years ago, I was walking through a street in Sydney and someone was trying to sell me something. They stopped me and they wanted to interview me, ask these questions, and then, you know, they were going to offer you their services. And uh, one, of the first, one of the questions was, are you fulfilled in life? I said, yes. And then they said, uh, are there things in life, you know, where you find that you're really very dissatisfied? I said, no. And the questions went on like that. Eventually the person said, I'm sorry, but I don't think we can help you. I said, <laughs> I, said <coughs> I don't care. I don't need your help. I found my, you know, life, life can be difficult, but we have everything in Christ Jesus. I could not be any more fulfilled ultimately than what I am in Christ. Now, that means that we don't always fit in. And we may be ostracised, even abused, says Peter. And the issue there is that when, when we say no, when our friends say, you know, why don't you jump into this floodwater with us and be dissipated away? <laughs> when, when we say no, even graciously, even gently, it kind of pricks or even stabs their conscience. And they may not like that because they feel exposed. I used to work in the head office of a very large uh, international company and I remember one day I was in the elevator, there was three people in the elevator, one was an attractive female secretary, uh, the other person was the, the male director of finance and then there was me. Uh, he was one of my bosses. When the young woman left the elevator on her floor and the doors closed, my boss then shared with me what was on his mind about that young woman, uh, expecting me to join in with him in his sexual fantasy, which I didn't, quite clearly. His attitude towards me changed on that day, quite distinctly. Um, in a negative way. No problem, I was not pursuing a career in that company, but what if I were? And what about you? There are situations in your life where you've actually um, maintained a, a godly stance and that has actually pricked the conscience of someone who perhaps is in authority over you and you might have even uh, suffered in some way because of that. Your, career trajectory might not have been quite so steep. Understand the identity issue. But also, Peter wants us to understand that, that God is ready to judge. Um, verses 5 and 6. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead so that they might be judged according to men in regard to the body but live according to God in regard to the spirit. Now at one level these verses are easy to understand because it's saying don't forget that 
you're on the right side. There is a judgment that's taking place. But at another level, these, are, these verses are a little bit tricky. The question is, who are these dead people who have had the gospel preached to them? I don't think it's the spirits who are now in prison, um, the spirits who are now in hell that we talked about in chapter 3. More likely, uh, Peter is referring to, Christian, to Christians who have already died. Uh, in fact, they might have even lost their lives because of the gospel. Remember that at the beginning of 1 Peter, Peter says that uh, you have, you're experiencing grief in various trials. There was absolute grief going on in the churches to whom he's written. So it may be that some have even been martyred because of the gospel. And to lend support to that, Peter says that, uh, that in, of these people, that in their bodies they, they were judged. They were judged by human standards. That um, the world judged them in their bodies, but the reality is that they actually live according to God in their spirits. So the persecutors will ultimately be judged. We don't want our persecutors to be judged. We pray that they would come to know Christ Jesus, but ultimately know that there is a day of reckoning. The persecutors will be judged, but those they persecute for the sake of Christ will live forever. And that's our new identity. All right, so what does this new identity look like? Uh, I'm going to read verses 7 to 11 again, just to refresh our memories. He starts by saying, the end of all things is near. Now, that pictures in my mind those guys, you know, with beards and <clears throat> old sandals and sandwich boards walking around the streets. But I, I think, you know, what he's saying here is that in terms of the history of the world as we know it, that the coming of the Lord Jesus in his incarnation uh, means that we are now in the final chapter. We're now in the final chapter, and that chapter will come to an end. But we're in the final chapter. From the, the coming of the Lord Jesus to his return the second time. So therefore, says Peter, be clear-minded and self-controlled so that you can pray. Above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be glory and power forever and ever. And you think that Peter's just about to finish the letter, but he writes another one and a half chapters. Amen. He's so excited. He's so excited. Now, here what we see is the, the stark contrast between the old life before Christ, and, and that's the life which we died to, contrasted with the new life in which we now live. The old life was, was about gratifying ourselves. The new life is about serving others. So that uh, instead of drunkenness, which has the effect of kind of dulling your brain, uh, 
um, and losing self-control, instead of drunkenness, our minds are now to be, what does it say? Sober and alert. What's the purpose? The purpose is so that we can pray. That's a bit surprising, isn't it? But, you know, I guess in saying that, that uh, we pray, when we pray, we're actually seeking God's blessing on those whom we, we love and those whom we serve. It's, prayer is very other person centered. Although we pray for ourselves, it's acknowledging our, hum, our humble state before God and we pray for the blessing of other people. So instead of drunkenness, we have sober minds. Instead of lust, which is intrinsically self-centred, uh, we are to love. Uh, we are to love, which is other person-centred. And Peter says, deeply love. The word which is translated there, deeply, um, can also has that sense of, of stretching love, of, of strenuous love. Of the kind of love that requires effort and requires sacrifice. And, and of course, he says there that uh, th this love which covers over a multitude of sins. Well, we know that it's the love of Christ on the cross that covers over our sins. But our love is to be like that. We have to have the same mindset towards other people. So we don't love someone if we delight in, in finding and exposing their faults, do we? That's not love. We love someone when we express um, understanding and mercy and grace and forgiveness. That's the kind of love that we are to have towards one another. Also, instead of orgies and carousing, we are to be hospitable. It's kind of the opposite, isn't it? The opposite to having an orgy where you invite people around so you can exploit them, uh, we're actually to be hospitable, which means we, we serve other people with the, uh, the gifts that we have. A and we do so without grumbling. Now, um, hospitality was, uh, was very important in the first century. Was that a game of cricket that I was hearing? Something <laughs> very good. Um, my family's in Malaysia at the moment. My phone rang the other day. I picked it up and there's their faces and they're talking to me. Like, Hi, Dad. We're on a beach in Penang. Isn't this fun, you know? <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so hospitality was very important in the first century. Um, th there wasn't a lot of travellers' accommodation on offer and the inns that they did have were, were seedy often. They, they were places that they would not rate very highly on TripAdvisor. And more than that, the early church, uh, in the early church, the gospel uh, spread through travelling Christians. As Christians doing business and um, visiting places, and they, they, they took the gospel with them. And often the teachers um, and the evangelists would come to an area and they would be, be travelling. So to open up your home to provide a bed and a meal might actually have helped the cause of the gospel. And in the absence of church buildings, um, church gatherings were held in people's homes. So this requires hospitality. One of the great things about hospitality is the chance that we have to 
um, spend time with other people and to bless them with the things which we've been provided. Um, by inviting them around for a meal, great thing to do after church or any time during the week, um, or by having visitors to come over and stay at our place. You really get to know people well when you do that. But when we do so begrudgingly, even complaining after our guests have left, well, didn't we die to that? Isn't that the old self? Without grumbling, says Peter. Without grumbling. Uh, which means, of course, sometimes wisdom is required, um, depending on the circumstances. Uh, we love having people over at our place and having people stay at our home, but there have been occasions when, for, for good and loving reasons, that we've, we've had to say no. But in those cases, we've tried to help um, people find alternative accommodation at, at a reasonable price. Um, mind you, sometimes I've just said no because I've had a phone call at 9 or 10 o'clock at night saying, hey, we're some Christians, we're just travelling through Port Macquarie, don't know you, but can you suggest a very, very cheap place for us to stay? Hint, hint. <laughs> and I said, yeah, I know a motel. <laughs> Let me point you in the right direction. Back in chapter 1, verse 6, uh, we saw that uh, the Christians to whom Peter wrote were experiencing grief in all kinds of trials. And the word there is various trials. And here he uses the same word to refer to God's grace, where he talks about God's grace in its various forms. The grace which God gives us, the, the gifts that God gives us. So we might have various trials, but he's also given us various gifts. Um, the bottom line in verses 10 and 11 is that everything that we have is a gift from God, which we use not to serve ourselves, but to serve others. Uh, did you notice there that he singles out the gift of speaking? I take it that this means teaching and preaching God's word, that kind of speaking. Um, and, the, and the temptation for any speaker of God's word is to do so for themselves, for their own um, gratification, so that uh, groups of people, even in some cases crowds of people, uh, might think well of them. Well, in verse 11, Peter says, if anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. In other words... Uh, it's, it's not about you. Uh, it's, this is not a game. It's, it's serious business. It's about speaking God's words. Remember Paul's charge to Timothy, uh, where he said to Timothy, preach the word in season and out of season. Um, correct, rebuke and encourage with great patience and with careful instruction because it's not man's word it's God's word and it's not our strength either it's not our strength in any way that we serve in any way that you might be serving um, in the church or serving other people whatever we do for God we should do so with the strength that God provides. That is, we don't 
We're not proud and we're not arrogant. We don't rely on ourselves, but we recognise that anything we do is only because God has enabled us to do that thing. Um, you see, uh, it's one thing to, to serve God in the name of, of Christ, but I think it's sometimes something different to serve God in the spirit of Christ. Different thing. Who... Christ Jesus, who served so much that he died for sin once and for all, so that our identity, our self-esteem, our satisfaction, our contentment is found in him whom we praise forever and ever. So don't waste the rest of your life. You've died to sin. And so now go on and live the rest of your life for the one who made you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much that Christ died for sins once and for all. We pray that we would really comprehend what that means in terms of who we are as persons now. That it's inconsistent for us to be people who live the new life in Christ but to actually be clinging on to the stuff of the old self. Father, we pray that you would um, give us the spiritual insight to know those areas of, of our life which we need to change to, so that we are living who we are. And we pray, Father God, that we would be bold to live for you in a world that perhaps sometimes even abuses us for doing so, um, knowing that it's, it's right to do so. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.